Welcome to Critical Q&A number 430 <laughs> for this Sunday morning. I have, um, you know, when you try to upgrade and, and make new things, and I know I keep making kind of excuses for, uh, you know, technical stuff, because uh, I'm just learning as I go, and I'm, and I'm trying to get the ideal setup in here, and you move things around, and then something doesn't work, and you're like, ah, and it's just, uh, and it just keeps going. It just keeps happening. Every time I think I've got everything all set up, something else comes up. It's, uh, anyway, whatever. Hey, happy birthday, Vernon. Um, happy that you are with us for your birthday today. Let's go ahead and set up the um, Q&A box. Um, so please uh, put your questions under this comment. Okay, so I have now started the Q&A aspect of the chat, so I'm not necessarily seeing all of your comments now, but if you put your questions for me under the Q&A um, comment that I just posted saying, please put your questions under this comment, if you answer or put your comments there, then I will get them as questions, and that's where I will draw from in order to, um, in order to do the show. Um, okay, and <laughs> here we go. Good. You guys are totally getting it. Um, good. Let's see if we can throw these up on the screen. Uh, let's see if these come up as I hit them. Um, there it is. Okay, let me go back there and there. There. There we go. Now I get questions up on the screen. All right, here we go with the first one. Young Matador asks, if, as according to Jeff Augustine, Danny Masterson has been declared suppressive, can his civil trial church lawyers represent him anymore? Um, it's a good question. There's a lot of questions coming out of this uh, in regards to the uh, further, the continuation of the civil lawsuit and what's going to happen. And also, of course, there's the question of the Masterson clan, the family. And if they've all turned their backs on him or given up on him or been told they have to because he's now a convicted felon, um, then, of course, maybe they'll have to play ball with that. There's been so much conjecture as to why he would not be declared or why he would or should be. And so let me just say... Um, First off, the church's, the Church of Scientology's policies on having convicted felons who are in jail be part of Scientology is pretty crystal clear. If you are a convicted felon or a criminal, this falls under what are called Scientology's A to J policies, where you are a source of trouble. There are A, B, C, D, all the way up to the letter J, all, all different categories of trouble that you can be in with Scientology that will prevent you from being able to do Scientology services. The church says that these 
types of categories of behavior or, or individuals who fall under these categories are not eligible for services and are not eligible to be part of Scientology. And criminals are one of those categories. So there was never really any question as to whether the Church of Scientology should declare Danny Masterson. It was just a matter of whether they were going to or not because of these conjectural ideas we had about his family and about this and that and the other thing. So if they have pulled the trigger, and I want to remind everybody that right now we do not know, and we don't have any idea. We just know that sources have said, fine, that maybe sources have said this, and maybe this is true, and maybe it is the fact that Danny Masterson has now been declared suppressive, as he should be. However, just because a person has been declared suppressive doesn't mean that there's never any contact between the Church of Scientology and that declared suppressive. There is one person in the church that is always authorized to talk with or relate with or, or interact with suppressives. And that person is the International Justice Chief. And they're supposed to be in touch with or in communication with declared suppressives if those declared suppressives want to do the steps to come back into the church called A to E. Another set of categories, another set of steps, right? Not A to J, A to E, A, B, C, D, E. You do the, uh, those five steps, the A, B, C, D, E, yeah, five steps, and you will be back in the church's good graces. You will be undeclared a suppressive person if you do those steps, working through them with the approval of the International Justice Chief, who often delegates that responsibility to the continental-level justice chiefs. So you have the sort of an opposite number system where you have this one guy running all the international justice issues and matters for Scientology, and then you have the continental justice chiefs at each continental level, Western United States, Eastern United States, Canada. All of them have their own individual who is running all the justice matters for that zone or area, that continental area. So those people are also authorized to contact or talk with suppressive people. Now, the only reason I'm going into all this is to let you all know that just because somebody's declared suppressive doesn't actually technically mean that no one in Scientology can communicate with them. Okay? There are a couple people who can. And one imagines that in the very highly unusual situation that the Church of Scientology is a named co-defendant on a civil trial with Danny Masterson, now possibly a declared suppressive person, that they're going to have to have their story straight, that they're going to have to communicate and coordinate their mutual defense in said case. Well... There are also situations where declared suppressives in Scientology have been the parents of important people or have been involved in business dealings or other longer-term complicated situations that require further communication with the suppressive even after they're declared, right? On child, you know, if, if your husband or your spouse is declared and you have joint custody of a child, according to the law, right? You can't just ignore that. 
So there will have to be coordinated communications of an incredibly limited nature. You always try to limit it to the bare minimum that you have to. But if you got to coordinate on child sharing times and this and that and the other thing, the church will authorize that you can have those limited forms of communication. I've seen this a couple times over the years. Again, why am I saying all this? Because just because Masterson is declared doesn't mean the church is not going to continue to work with or coordinate with him on, the, on their mutual defense. Because the last thing that they want is Masterson, um, you know, going off on his own tangent and coming up with his own defense. And that might possibly hurt or injure the church's chances of coming out of that civil lawsuit unscathed. And if Masterson were to confess to, you know, conspiracy to cover up a crime, something like that, uh, with Scientology, then Scientology can find themselves in all kinds of hot water. So who knows, right? If he's declared, there are complicated issues here behind the scenes as to how Scientology went about dealing with him or how they should have dealt with him so that they would pave the way for that defense and for that trial to happen because that trial is going to happen. And maybe Scientology is of the mind, or maybe maybe Miscavige is so out to lunch that he thinks he doesn't have to coordinate with Masterson, he doesn't have to coordinate or cooperate with him or work with him, and maybe he is just throwing him to the dogs. You know, Miscavige is so dumb sometimes in the decisions that they make and, and, in, the, and in the enforcement of Scientology's policies that, you know, it really, I... I, I I hesitate to give him the benefit of the doubt anymore that he's going to make rational or sensible decisions about the future of Scientology and about, you know, coordinating a complicated, you know, legal defense like is coming with the civil trial. I, you know, I just, I mean, Miscavige just says and does some of the dumbest shit sometimes that you can't really give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to think very clearly through the minefield that they are now faced with uh, with this litigation. So, um, so I see, you know, so many different possibilities here as to how this whole thing could go that, um, you know, and, and then you ask, uh, can his civil trial church lawyers represent him anymore? I don't know that Masterson had church lawyers. So I'm, you know, his attorneys were hired by him, not by the church of Scientology, I don't know where the idea came from, unless I'm completely out to lunch here and somebody can show me otherwise. I, I don't know anywhere that says that Masterson's attorneys are Church of Scientology attorneys. They're not Scientologists, at least they weren't in the rape trial, and I don't think they're going to be in this one. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're co-defendants or they're, uh, you know, they're both being brought to the civil trial, but they can have independent uh, representation. And I think they will. I don't think they'll all fall under. I don't think Masterson's attorneys and the Church of Scientology are going to be the same people. If I'm, and if I'm wrong about that, please correct me. I'm happy to be corrected on that. Um, so, um, yeah, so anyway, that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of at least my initial thoughts about that or what I could say about that. Um, and let's move on. I'm sure more questions will come in on this, but that's at least some of my initial thinking on this topic. Let's carry on here. Um, okay. Um, 
just because I'm going to do these in order, Joe, uh, it's a great question. So let's throw it up there. How much do you charge for consultations? Thanks for, uh, I love you guys always reminding me to promote my work and myself. Uh, so I charge $100 an hour for consultations. Okay, if you want to contact me and have direct personal communication with me on an advisory basis to consult with you about coercive situations or a post-cult you know, process or what do you do or how do you get over this or you just want somebody to talk to who understands because I really do, um, then that's how much I charge for that work. Okay? And you can contact me through my website uh, or through askchrisshelton at gmail.com to, uh, to arrange a consultation. All right. Um, let's carry on here. What else do we have? We've got, oh, let's bring that window back. <laughs> All right, Anthony, it's a good question. DC or Marvel, if one has to be erased from existence, which one? Oh, you are just a bad, bad person asking, giving me a one or the other on this because, um, because uh, DC is Superman, Batman, Flash. I mean, you know, iconic, really, really good superheroes. And Marvel, of course, is Avengers, Iron Man, Hulk, Thor. I mean, that you know, the whole gamut of awesome characters as well. And, you know, especially with the MCU's, you know, versions of these characters and how they were brought out, you know, Iron Man's a complete badass. I can't, I can't get enough of the guy. So, you know, it's a tough choice because how do you delete Superman and Batman? I mean, oh, my God. If I said, DC, if I said okay, get rid of DC, I think my wife would want to you know, behead me. I mean, we're both, you know, hardcore Batman fans. So, um, damn, damn. Uh, only if you put a gun to my head, will I say, I guess we have to keep DC. Cause I just can't imagine a world without Superman and Batman. Sorry. And I know there's, and I'm, and I'm not even going into the entire cast of characters that, you know, that represent both of these, you know, the sort of pantologies, if you will. Uh, yeah, anyway, thanks for the question, Anthony. <laughs> All right, let's see what else we've got going on here. Um, okay, X-Science, Scientology and RTC is seeking to submit a combination brief of support for an anti-slap motion to strike. Your comments. Okay, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, Anti-slap is a is a legislative process to uh, for a bullied you know corporation or a bullied um, uh, group to uh, to say hey judge this is just you know this is just nonsensical these are these these folks are just bullying us this is you know sort of um, uh, vexatious litigation kind of thing you know that kind of thing is at least that's how I understand it um, and. I think it's total horseshit that Scientology is trying to use that as a as a, a measure to get rid of or dismiss the lawsuit altogether, you know, by telling the courts this is just harassment of us. How you know these these uh, these women these these victims these quote unquote victims are trying to uh, you know get free money from us. And these, this is all just baseless nonsense, right, is sort of the attitude here. And Scientology is taking the same arrogant, conceited sort of approach that lots of corporations take when it comes to this kind of thing because they are incapable, incapable, and I mean utterly incapable, of taking 
any responsibility for any part of their destructive actions. That's basically the problem. One of the key foundational characteristics of a destructive cult is that it is a group uh, led by, always led by, an individual or small group of people who are utterly incapable of even recognizing responsibility. And so they will utilize every single law, rule, aspect of conduct, behavior, moral, you know, moral principle to slime out of being responsible, right? Being able to respond to charges against them that they, you know, that they are guilty of. Uh, this is narcissism 101, right? This is, you know, when you, when you bring it down and, and distill it down to core principles, this is one of the core principles of narcissism is a complete inability, a, a total lack of any sense of responsibility for any of their actions. And it is endlessly frustrating to those of us who do bear responsibility for our actions, who do understand an empathetic response, which is where responsibility kind of emerges from, um, you know, when you're incapable of empathy, when you're incapable of sympathizing for somebody else or their plight, then responsibility is really hard to come by. And that's where Scientology lives. They live there. They, they live in a cesspool of irresponsibility. And um, so it's par for the course that they would file anti-slap. This is completely predictable. Tony predicted this. You know, this is not any, any big surprise at all. Um, does the legal argument hold water? Depends on how they make the argument and how good the defense is against it and who the judge is. And at the end of the day, it's really fucking sad that it comes down to such arbitrary things, and yet it does. And in a legal context, the arguments that get made are not about common sense or about justice, as we already know. So, um, is, you know, the law is incredibly procedural, in other words. It's all about procedure and precedent and rules and interpretations and who makes the better argument and all of that. And the judges in these cases are not people who are overly familiar with Scientology. And if they are, they're by their profession, they are supposed to put that knowledge aside anyway and rule just on the merits of what's being presented to them in their courtroom. Not, at, well, not what they know from the big wide world about all of this, right? So it's, and that's again a feature, not a bug, but, you know, sometimes it acts like a bug. So I think that, um, I think it's, uh, you know, as far as comments on that, I think it's uh, par for the course for a destructive cult. You know, it sickens me. I will use words like disgusting, gross, uh, inhumane, you know, uncompassionate, et cetera, but that's Scientology, all of those things. So, uh, yeah, pretty awful. Okay. Um, you know, I do make a pretty good banana bread, actually. Just so you know, Liz. <laughs> I'm see, seeing some of the comments here. Okay. Um, all right. Let's talk about this one for a second because this, this is a recurring question, and, and here's what I'm hearing my thoughts on it. Um, you may have had this one already. If Miscavige has a massive heart attack and drops dead, who do you think would take over? Would it be better or worse? Okay, um, here's what I think would happen if Miscavige died today. I'm not familiar enough with his inner circle and the management structure's personnel at this time for me to say a name. 
There are a few that I know, but I don't know where exactly they sit right now, so it would be silly for me to name names. But I will say that there are there is a person who is in charge of uh, what used to be known as like middle management, upper middle management. In other words, the International Liaison Office, ILO, or the what used to be um, called... Uh, uh, FCB or FB, the Flag Bureaus, the Flag Command Bureaus, then it changed names to the ILO in 1996, and I think it's been kind of called that ever since. And that is the middle, the upper middle management layer of Scientology. The person who runs that outfit is the one who's basically been running Scientology logistically, management-wise, for many, many years now. Um, and I think her name uh, is um, Ibert. I don't. I don't remember her first name. Carrie, maybe. I'm not. Sh- I'm, don't quote me on that first name. But, um, but I. But you know, Ms. Ibert uh, has been the one I'm aware of uh, up until you know a year or two ago. I don't know if that person is still there, but that's the person who probably has a pretty good shot at you know continuing to run the day to day you know logistical as I understand it again you know, sort of who's running the orgs, who's telling them what to do, who's, who's running all the field groups and the, and the front groups and the thises and the thats. That kind of is happening from that level, and I imagine that kind of operation would continue to go while, upper man, while the upper, upper levels, the gold base, you know, Miscavige's inner circle layer, would have to scramble and figure out what to do. And, who, and at this point... I think you'd have a power play. I think you would have a a contest of wills of who is up at the very top in Miscavige's inner circle who's going to take over. And I th- and I don't know who those people are, but I I would predict my my you know th- what would happen is those people would be scrambling to figure out okay, now what? Who takes charge or or do we as a group take charge? And what would they form up and where would they go with it? It would depend so much on who the people are who, who end up stepping up. And, wh- and what they really thought about Miscavige. Were they really in a worshipful days about him and they want to continue the operation exactly according to how he was running things? Or, do, or is there a view, a, maybe a secret view, from, with, you know, from the inner circle members, right, that... Miscavige is running things off the rails and they needed to and they want to change things and now there is their opportunity to do so. So you see already the number of variables, important variables that are presenting themselves that we don't know the answers to that you go, oh shit, well I have no idea what would happen now because um because who's gonna who's gonna step up and you know all and what are they gonna do? Where where do their loyalties lie? What do they think about all the changes that have been made? Are they aware that they were changes that have been made? Is this gonna be is it gonna be some newer person who doesn't know about the real history of Scientology? Or is it gonna be a vet, somebody who's been around for a while who steps up and takes over and they are re, are remember what it was like pre-Miscavige or pre-Golden Age of Tech and pre-Ideal Org and how Scientology used to operate, which was in a very different way than how it operates now. So these are all the questions that make it impossible for me to say, here's exactly what's going to happen because it's like oh, with so many forks in the road, right? Um, so yeah, Marty Rathman's definitely not going to strike from the shadows though. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that's not going to happen. Um, 
Okay, so anyway, that's uh, those are uh, you know I, I I try to be real about this kind of stuff, Liz, uh, because I want people to to kind of get the real picture, which is it's really complicated, and who the hell knows what would happen? What would happen is chaos. That's what would happen, and from that chaos would emerge something. What that something is is anybody's guess, really. You know, probably. You know, another Miscavige-like person probably would step up, right? It would probably be somebody like him would take over. You know, so if you think it might be a kinder, gentler version of Scientology that we might see emerge from that, I, I doubt it. I really doubt it, you know. Because uh, the group is too, Scientology as a group is just too used to that style of leadership that they would that they would maybe even reject somebody who came in with a kinder gentler view you know what i mean and not to blame the victims i'm just saying groups are weird groups are weird when it comes to selecting their leaders and stuff i mean you know look at what's happening in the house of representatives right now i mean you know you'd think it would be a very straightforward matter apparently not you know you got a lot of factions you got a lot of people vying for power and anything could happen Okay, let's carry on. Uh, let's see here. Vernon asks, um, Chris, did you see the Celebrity Center protest yesterday? There were 40 people. I did not. I was super busy with some other stuff yesterday, and I did not see the protest. I heard it was happening, and I was keen to get word on what occurred at it. Um, but I don't know any details about it. I'm sorry. I'm so out of the loop on uh, stuff like that, and I and I shouldn't be, you know. But I am. Uh, so uh, it's great. It's awesome that 40 people showed up. That's a good size protest. That's a protest that matters. You know, I've seen protests as small as two people, one person uh, around the base, and they'll shut the whole thing down for one picketer, right? But 40, that's impressive. That's enough to actually get a press conference and get some media attention. So I hope they got some. That would be awesome. <clears throat> okay. What would it take for Scientology to declare Danny Masterson not an SP? <clears throat> See, I don't think they really can. I've all, I, I mean, I've been thinking from the beginning that eventually the guy's going to get declared, right? I, I, it, does, it just doesn't make any sense that he wouldn't. Um, especially because even after they declare him, they can still coordinate with him as needed on the case, right? Um, okay, what it would take to not declare him would be if Masterson, and I don't think Masterson would do this, not right now. And I'll explain why. But if Masterson threatened the church with disclosure about the conspiracy or about other issues that he knows about, and make no mistake, I am positive Danny Masterson has dirt on Scientology just like they have dirt on him. So, or other Scientologists, right? So if he were to threaten to expose, bring that to light, you know, that kind of thing, if it was if he started playing tit for tat with them, right? Something like that. 
I could see them, you know, not declaring him, right? If that was a problem to him or if that was going to be an issue with him and his family and all that, I could see him, you know, trying to play like, hey, let's make a deal. Let's not do that. Or trying to, you know, uh, blackmail Scientology and then not declaring him. But the reason that doesn't really hold a lot of water is because he's got an appeal process right now and it's years long it's gonna it's probably gonna outlive the appeals process is probably gonna go on longer than the civil trial it's at least from what i've heard and read it's at least three four year process so he's gonna have to hunker down and he's gonna have to shut the fuck up right um about anything related to that criminal case because if he starts threatening scientology or saying okay i'm gonna give the goods then he then he you know um, indicts himself at the same time because how could he know unless he was part of the criminal conspiracy so and at this point there's really not a lot of saving grace for him in you know cooperating with the prosecution to testify against Scientology it's not like that's going to change anything about his rape convictions that's a done deal and nothing's going to change that short of the full appeals process. So he's in a position where he can't threaten Scientology or threaten to expose them or strong arm them because that will hurt his own appeal. And his whole appeal is going to be based on the fact that he didn't do these things and that they were all just lying and there were all these problems in the case and they brought Scientology into the case and they did this and they did that. And he's going to appeal on every single merit that he can find or dig up to get himself exonerated. So he cannot, uh, you know, again, so he can't be in the position where he's going to be, you know, calling out Scientology. And maybe Scientology knows that, and that's why they went ahead and declared him, right? Because it's like, well, what are you going to do, Danny Masterson, right? What are you going to do to us? Go ahead, do your worst, right? Because of the position that he's in. So it could well be that Miscavige is making this decision to declare Masterson on that calculation. Um, you know, odds are there's other stuff we don't know about involved in all of these decision-making, which makes outside examination of it so difficult. Um, but that's the kind of, so that's kind of where, where my thoughts go, at least in like, what would it take for them to not declare him? And why, you know, why would they? You know, I don't know. Uh, keep asking me questions about it. I'm sure more things will occur to us as we go. Um, all right. The name of the International Justice Chief, Joe, is Mike Ellis. At least as far as we know, he's the one who still holds that position. And that guy has held that job for almost as long as I was in the Sea Orc. And since I've left, that guy has always been IJC. Uh, so maybe they could replace him. Maybe they need to. As far as I know, he's pretty in a pretty bad way medically. Um, Vernon, will Danny Masterson's daughter be required to visit her dad in prison whether she wants to or not? No. Uh, there would be no reason for that to happen, um, especially if he's declared suppressive. She'll never see him again if he's declared suppressive. So, you know, I don't know. No. Um, all right, how is Leah's lawsuit going, Anthony asks. Watch after Scientology straight up and vertical, and we, we tell you every week. <laughs> um, right now it's going fine, as far as I know. Um, you know, they're going to... Here's, 
the, the, the latest filings and the indications from the Church of Scientology regarding their defense against Leah is extraordinarily tone deaf in a public image PR sense, but is probably a better legal argument than a lot of us want to really admit or think is true. The, I'm no legal eagle. I do not know all the precedents and all the bounds of the, of the highway or all the, all the guide rails, okay? I'm not a lawyer. I've been around the law and dealing with the bullshit of the law connected with Scientology for many years now, and you've seen me lots of times rail and shake my fist and be very upset over how you know badly the law will interpret certain circumstances or um, not know about things, etc. Which is you know why I said earlier in this show, you know that it's all about the arguments made in the courtroom in front of the judge at that moment, not what's going on in the real world because the judge and everybody else can't know about that. They can only know about the case as presented. Um, so. Protected speech is pretty is casts a pretty wide net. You can get, in other words, you can get away in the United States of America with an awful lot of very egregious and immoral behavior and immoral language. What a lot of people would find incredibly offensive. You have the right from the First Amendment to practice and say all kinds of things and do all kinds of things that can rub other people the wrong way. The line that is drawn in the sand, as far as I understand it, with Leah's lawsuit is you don't get to say things or do things that materially impact another's ability to engage in their livelihood and earn a living. You shouldn't be able to do that, and I don't think that the law allows you to use language or engage in activity that actually, you know, that hampers a person's ability to make a living. And that's going to be a key crux of the argument that Leah's going to be making, her lawyers will be making, in her lawsuit. Because she's saying, look, these guys are stalking and harassing me so much that it's impacted my ability to make a living. And I believe that's going to be a very crucial point, as I understand it, of her entire lawsuit. Because sending out tweets, calling Leah names, is protected speech. There's nothing anybody can do about that. If the Church of Scientology, to this day, is sending out hordes of tweets and messaging all over social media calling Leah all kinds of horrible names. And there's not anything illegal about any of that. At all. You can show up in front of somebody's house and just stand there all day long, and nobody can do a thing about it. Um, it's when you get in somebody's way. It's when you are assaulting them, touching them, putting your hands on them, you know, uh, uh, hurting them. That's when things get, you know, a bit more uh, off the rails. But words hardly matter when it comes to the law. 
Um, and the most extreme examples we can find and dig up on this, of course, would be like Nazi protests and Nazi marches and stuff like that. No one agrees with that. Everybody thinks those people are the most awful cockroach-type people, you know, and uh, that exist. I mean, how could this possibly be that a bunch of, you know, people like that, a bunch of hate mongers, get to have free speech and roam our streets and all of that? But that's the First Amendment. So... That's a, so as, as, as horrible as we find Scientology's behavior, the case, and, and the reason I'm talking about all of this at all is because this is the argument Scientology's making. This is their defense is, well, yeah, it's all awful and it's all horrible and you all might not like it, but too bad. We have the right to say it. We are, we are, we are stating our case just like she's stating hers. If she gets to call us all these bad, horrible, awful names, we get to do the same in return. That's their argument in a nutshell. And it, you know, and to a degree, it will hold legal water, right? So the, so it's going to be up to Leah's team to show that it's not just protected speech that's the issue, that they're actually materially harming her ability to make a, make a living. And, uh, and I really hope that they're able to do that. Right, because because uh, First Amendment is not. You're right; it's not absolute, but it goes way farther than you might think and be comfortable with. Right? I mean, listening to lawyers talk about this, it's really quite out there how far you can go. So, um, so that's so that's going to be the thing, right? That's going to be the case. And and Scientology's see, the fact of the matter is, Scientology, as far as I can tell, right from reading everything that Leah has presented, it's pretty clear that Scientology has crossed the line and that they are acting in such a way as to harm her in a real-world way. So that should that argument can and should be made, right? The First Amendment does not unlimited. You can't do that. Okay, so we'll see. Um, all right, let's carry on here. Anthony Spurgeon, another good question. Is the Scientology cross meant to trick Christians or lure them in? Yes. Um, but it's not just that. The, 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 the Church of Scientology was formulated in 19, at the end of 1953, beginning of 1954. It was first incorporated. And 1955, 56, saw Hubbard in Phoenix really going to town trying to present the religiosity of Scientology with uh, Scientology auditors dressing up in the, in the, the priest outfits uh, with the dog collars. And I am going to use that term because it's the right term to use. Look it up. It's on Wikipedia. There's nothing offensive about it. Uh, it is the term that is used for the, uh, the priest's white little tab collar, right? So it's been uh, called a priest collar or it's called a dog collar. And, um, and Hubbard wanted that, that imaging. He wanted everybody to immediately associate Scientology with religion. So rather than go down an occult practice symbology road of, you know, of Crowley and black magic and robes and weird symbols and arcane stuff, Hubbard, uh, you know, knew that wasn't going to fly. And as far as presenting Scientology or gaining mass acceptance of Scientology, what would, what symbology would do it? 
Well, if 75% of Americans are Christian, and they are, then obviously they think, you know, a, a cross is a religious symbol, immediately gains acceptance, and so that was the obvious symbol to choose for Scientology uh, to, to get that connection. So that's, I believe, why there's a Scientology cross at all. All right. Let's see what we got here. Um, Exion, uh, you don't have to answer this. Do you see what Trump does to people he considers an enemy as basically fair game tactics? Uh, well, yeah, because 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 fair game is just what narcissists do. I mean, you, you know that, right? I mean, fair game is not just a Scientology thing. It's just a label for what Scientology does. But the behavior is what all narcissists and predators do. Once they're found out or once the con and the deception isn't working anymore, the only choice is to destroy the target because you can't fool them anymore. And they're now turned against you. So the only choice you have is ruin them utterly, destroy them, get rid of them, unexist them. Make it so no one will listen to them, no one will talk to them, no one will believe them. That's fair game. That's what narcissists do, right? Or predators do. Um, so yeah, of course that's what Trump does, right? We see his, it, we see it in his behavior constantly. We see it in every predator's behavior, uh, from YouTubers to politicians to world leaders to corporate heads to. The heads of PR department, of HR departments at, at companies, to family members, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This behavior is universal uh, for bad people, right? Everywhere. And if you and if you kind of break it down, you know, you'll understand. Uh, it's pretty obvious, right? So, uh, so there you go, right? So it's no. So you know, I'll answer it, and I know that anybody who's a Trump supporter is going to lose their damn minds just because I'm criticizing Trump. But just calm down. I'm criticizing predators, and Donald Trump is absolutely a predatory personality. And if you don't see that, then you're blind. I'm sorry, but it's just the way it is. Um, it's so obvious. It's literally like saying the sky is blue. I mean, it's just, it's not even a question. It's just not even a question. So uh, there you go on that. All right. Will Scientology be seeking whatever money Kirstie Alley left to her family? Will her children be obligated to give it to them? Um, well, Scientology, okay, if you're ever wondering, first off, whether Scientology is ever going to be asking or looking for pursuing money from anybody for any reason at any time, the answer is going to be yes, of course they are. That's what they are. They are a money-making scam that uses religious cloaking to hide their true purpose and meaning and, and intent. But that's what they are. That's what they do. So the answer to the question is yes. Now, do I know anything about Kirstie Alley's family or children or whether they're even Scientologists or not? No, I don't. I have no idea. So I don't know, you know how to answer that specifically about Kirstie. But I do know that Scientology is a money-grubbing group that will take money from anybody for anything and, and pursue it like vultures. So, you know, that's what I can say about that. All right. 
Okay, the villain. I'm sure you answered this a lot before, but you've done a lot of videos. Study tech, MUs, metered method ones, mem fours, M sevens, M nines, etc. What is your opinion of it now? I see you retain some love for word clearing. Um, how do I answer this? Um, I think it's a good idea to understand what you're reading, and if that means you have to look up a word in the dictionary because you don't know what it means, great. I don't think about that as Scientology. So I, I, I've divorced myself from that whole rationale, right? So I don't actually retain a love for word clearing. Word clearing is a Scientology process of indoctrination and mental, of, of thought reform to use procedures to indoctrinate and overemphasize or de-emphasize certain concepts and principles so as to install loaded language into a person's mind. That's what word clearing is, and there are nine different methods and other procedures in Scientology that accomplish that task. I do not retain any love for that. I like to understand things, and if I have to look up a word to do that, I'll do that. It doesn't happen a lot because I can usually figure things out from context, but most of the time, you know, but sometimes not. Um, so my opinion of word clearing is what I just said. It's, it's a form of undue and subtle indoctrination that is accomplishing more than you think it is in doing the process and procedure because you're using the e-meter, you're using the framework of control that Scientology offers with its auditing process of being in a room, can't leave, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you are being um, guided using an e-meter to, to be told what it is that you do and don't understand. You're being evaluated for and invalidated flat out. And Hubbard, you know, great, great claims are made about the auditor's code in Scientology. And people, years after the fact, even my mom brought this up the other day, you know, like, like people are really fooled about this. Even ex-members, I see this constantly, where they, they, they praise Scientology's auditing techniques because, well, you know, at least they have a code that says that you don't invalidate or evaluate for the preclear. And I look, I was now, I always look askance at such people. I'm always like, what are you talking about? Auditing is nothing but evaluation and invalidation of the person being audited. Word clearing is the exact same. That's why I bring it up. You're using an e-meter or the word clearer, even in a non-metered situation, is telling the person they don't understand words they're reading, even when they do. And this sets up a very serious kind of double-bind thinking. I understand it. I can't understand it, but I do understand it, but I can't understand it, but I do understand it, but I don't. This kind of thing is the anatomy of psychosis. And word clearing isn't necessarily going to drive you mad just with one or two sessions. But you know how word clearing works in Scientology. It's, it's hundreds of hours of word clearing. You're, just, you're inundated with it constantly on every class you do. And if you're a staff member or Sea Org member, they use it as a punishment. 
So I, so I don't retain any love for any of that, and that's why I'm pushing back on it like that because I want to be clear that this is my current view about word clearing and auditing in Scientology. It's bad for you. Every minute of it is bad for you. It's not like, you know, you have a good feeling at the end of it, and therefore it worked. That's not what happens. That's not how it is. It works, just not the way you think it works, right? Nibs nailed it with that. He nailed it, right? Scientology works, just not the way you think it does. It works the way L. Ron Hubbard intended it for it to. You know, that's a very, very important point. In fact, it might be one of the most important observations ever made about Scientology. And it comes from Nibs, right? Hubbard's uh, kid. Okay. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I see some of the comments here. And absolutely, I don't think Leah has an unwinnable lawsuit here, guys. Let's be clear about that. I'm just not saying that she's absolutely walking through this and it's not going to be a problem, right? This is a tough sell. This, this argument she's making and the argument the Church of Scientology is coming back with are powerful arguments in a legal sense. This isn't, this, isn't, this isn't like an easy walk in the park on this one. Um, and there's a lot of hurdles that Leah's going to have to jump over, her team is going to have to cross in order to make this thing work. I don't know, Anthony. This is an interesting question. If Miscavige had never joined Scientology, would he still be an evil SOB? <laughs> Who knows, right? Is evil incarnate within us? Is evil something that manifests no matter what we do and no matter what the context of our life is? I don't think so. I don't happen to think so. I talked about this a few weeks ago, right? How is evil created? How is it made? Why do people do evil? Most of the time, it's because they think they're doing good. They've been convinced by a Hubbard or by a Rainier, right? Or by a Jim Jones. That, that bad is good, that right is wrong, that up is down, right? That freedom is slavery. And if you can convince somebody of something that is not true and they absolutely passionately believe it, right, they'll act on it. And that's where a lot of evil comes from. And con alternately, right, a lot of good comes out of the opposite. So had Miscavige, David Miscavige, grown up, not with Scientology, not with any Scientology influence, had Ron Miscavige Sr. never introduced Scientology to his family. Who knows? There are a million different variational possibilities there, right? Who knows? Um, the triggers that turn on somebody's dark side are unknown to us. At this time, we have we have indications, we have red flags, we have things we know from genetics, we have things we know from you know DNA study, from brains, the neuro, neuroscience study. We know some things, but the on-off switches, the way to make it or unmake it, the way to cause it to happen or not happen, right? Psychosis or narcissism or predatory behavior. We don't know. And it would be folly for us to pretend we do if we're going to talk turkey about it like I do, like I want to on my channel here, right? So I'm not going to sit here and say Miscavige was a bad egg from birth and he was going to be an evil SOB no matter what he did because I think context is 
everything. And I think circumstances of a person's life are everything when it comes to how who they end up be, becoming. Um, so I'll say I don't know, but I'll but I'm trying to get you know make it an educated I don't know, not a well I don't, you know I hope that answer uh, makes sense. Yeah, you got all kinds of questions, young matador. Keep going, right? Um, Oh, that's interesting. According to Going Clear, his family was already terrified of him as a child. If true, then Miscavige sounds like he was already well on the road. I, I wasn't aware that his family was terrified of him as a child. I never got that impression. So that's very interesting. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to dig that up, I guess, because I don't remember that fact. Um, but that's interesting because if he was already well down the road or if he was already, you know, and, and it was kind of funny because you'd th- you'd start looking at Miscavige like, well, was he dissecting animals or doing weird stuff or was he doing predatory stuff as a kid? I didn't see that from his behavior. I mean, his dad, I remember very clearly his father saying he grew up kind of like a regular kid. So I'm not sure about that piece of information, Liz, but if that is, abs- if that's the case from going clear, I'd like to, I'd like to know more about that. Um, okay. Yes, it is absolutely true. I'm just responding to some of the comments here, right? I hope I'm not giving the impression that there are not, uh, people who manipulate other people into, into bad things. I was, I, I, anyway, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just jumping into the middle of a comment stream. I shouldn't be. Let's carry on with the questions. I, we, oh my God, it, it just blows me away how fast the time flies on this. Um, let's see what we got here. How would David Miscavige explain away the protests outside St. Hill when he's rubbing shoulders with the rich Church of Scientology donors? Can he just isolate himself away from people like Cardone or Cummins? No, 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 no. These guys are all on the same page. Don't, no, no, no. Tom Cummins, Grant Cardone, none of these people are going to go up to Miscavige in any world, in any universe, and under any circumstances and say to him, Hey, what's up with these protesters outside? No one's going to do that, ever. Okay, let's be super clear about that. Grant Cardone, Tom Cummins, all these other whales, they all think the same way about the protesters that David Miscavige does, that all Scientologists do, that they're a bunch of lunatic suppressives. That's what they think about protesters. These are bad people or... They're so misguided and so stupid that they can't see facts from fiction as far as the Scientologists are concerned. They ignore protesters. They hate protesters. They think protesters are assholes. So Miscavige doesn't have to apologize for or explain or rationalize protesters. Everybody in Scientology is already on the same page on those guys. You know, the protesters, right? They're, they're jerks. They're misguided at best and suppressive at worst. That's how that is, right? There's no hiding from that. It's, it is what it is, right? More, more to the point, what Miscavige and what the security at St. Hill or in Los Angeles at Celebrity Center and these various places, what they try to do, what their main effort is when protesters show up is to control where they are and and who can see what they're doing. 
That's why they they screen off all the windows, close all the doors, get everybody off the street. Nobody goes out and looks at them because they don't want the interbulation, right? I'm using air quotes, right? The interbulation. They don't want to have the Scientologists be bothered by the fact of this. But it's not like any of the Scientologists are like, oh, what are they saying? Oh, what's that sign? Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, maybe they have a point about what they're saying. No, nobody thinks that. So I, you know, I just, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, there you go. Um, are there any Scientologist judges? Would that even be possible? Uh, no and no, I don't think. I mean, I don't know that it would be prohibited for a Scientologist to be a judge, like a, like a circuit court judge or a, a judge of some kind. I don't think that would be impossible, but uh, I'm not aware of any. Never heard of a Scientology judge. Um, let's see if I can bang through a few of these quickly. I've been giving some longer answers. Um, how does Scientology get away with legally having kids not go to public private school and working in the Sea Org? Is this not against labor laws in the U.S.? Um, no, as long as they don't work after 10 and they only work so many hours a day, it's perfectly legal. Um, check out homeschooling laws, check out labor laws for like actually look at them and you'll see that there's all kinds of latitude for Scientology to utilize minors on a voluntary basis. And then remember, this is a religion with volunteers. They're not subject to labor laws quite the same way that the rest of the world is. Um, because it's a church and because they're using religious volunteers. Now, when it comes to kids, kids can only volunteer or work for so many hours a day. And I've seen, you know, OSA run around the base and enforce a schedule on the minors so that they only work so many hours a day. And I have also seen just as many times the, um, the minors themselves or their seniors cross-order OSA and tell OSA to fuck off and they're going to work as long as they want anyway. And I've seen actual arguments over, over that point. Full on. Um, so how does Scientology get away with it? Because people don't know what's happening and because um, nobody's reporting it and because the, um, the laws are actually really not as stringent as, as, as you might think sometimes. Or if they are, again, nobody's reporting it or nobody cares, right? Within And nobody cares within Scientology because they're on a mission. And when you're on a mission, right, you got that mission mindset, you know, nothing else matters but, you know, what you're doing. All right. Uh, what documentary about cults do you recommend watching to understand better the mechanics of coercive control? Um, I thought, I mean, my first thing that comes to mind in terms of documentaries would be... Um, well, Going Clear did a real good job of it. Um, certainly did a great job of encapsulating the culture of Scientology in two hours. Um, I thought that while it was a little bit of a lighthearted look at it or a little bit of a, of a soft approach, um, the How to Become a Cult Leader did a decent job of walking through all the mechanics and framework of, of cult leaders. I mean, it really did. We, we, we did it we, in our review. We walked through the whole thing, right? Um, so also I'll throw those out as, uh, as good ones. Um, and most of them have to do some kind of explanation of the coercion and the control and the manipulation, right? 
Um, Ex-Cyan, people of a certain religion came to my door. I said, thanks for stopping by, but no thanks. They offered to pray for me, asked what, I, asked what they should pray about. I thought, oh, they want to find my ruin. Yeah, that's exactly right, Ex-Cyan. They're always looking for a way in. They're always looking for that uh, because that's their job. Again, they're on a mission, right? They're people in a mission mindset. I should start using that expression. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a phrase for that. Uh, mission mindset, that's where they're at, right? And, and when, you're, when you're laser focused like that, when you're like, the, the, you know, you're, you're, it becomes very tunnel vision. There's the word, right? Uh, this is all I care about. I must save you. I must change you. I must, I must alter the way you live your life so it's in conformance with the way I live mine. Otherwise, you are not living the best life you could. And I'm just here for you, see? This is all about me helping you. See, it's that kind of crap. Um, yes, Joe, did hear about the protest. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I uh, thought this might come around. Bo Beats. Uh, okay, good. Save a little extra next month for you. Thank you very much. I definitely would appreciate the support. We could definitely use it right now. We had a whole car thing happen this week, and... Anyway, really kind of sucked. Um, so without drumming up drama, what are your thoughts on the whole SPTV Goldie flap? Okay, I don't know or pretend to know all the details of this. I understand. Here's what I do understand is that Goldie was somebody I never worked with. I never even talked to or met. But uh, So I never had her moderating on my channel. But she was somebody who was volunteering to moderate on a lot of channels uh, in the SPTV world. And apparently it came up that there were some disagreeable or offensive tweets or communications that she had sent out years ago or something. And this came up and, and it was decided by a group of people in the SPTV world or watchers of the SPTV world that somehow she was so offensive and so disgusting and horrible that she had to be gotten rid of and how dare she. And she's probably a no supplant. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching all this play out, Boy, where have I seen all of this before? So I, you know, I'm not sure what's going on with all of that, but it looks pretty kind of weird to me. Um, I've spoken with a couple creators behind the scenes about it who had, um, who were not out for her blood. They thought in a similar kind of way that it looked a little witch hunty and a little odd. But again, I, you know, I don't know. I know people have very strong opinions on certain social issues and certain social issue wars that are going on right now when it comes to things like gender identity and, and things like that. And I think, that's how, I think that's what her tweets had to do with, with something in that realm. Um, I've preached that on this channel from day one, compassion, tolerance, and understanding, and the fact that we are going to have a variety of opinions on a variety of topics, and it's kind of important that we learn to get along more so than we learn why we shouldn't. Um, so my limited exposure to the information about this situation indicates to me that, you know, there's a little cancel culture going on here. And I don't back that. I don't, I don't support that, right? Not for those kind of reasons. So that's my thinking on it. And I really hope I'm not drumming up more drama right now. Um, but that's what I know about it. So not a lot. Um, but I know that um, there is no such thing as a group of people or, or a community of any kind that 
uh, is immune to, you know, some toxic behavior and some cancel culture kind of stuff. And uh, that might be what's going on there. Don't know. Okay, and I'm sure somebody will hear this and decide to set me straight and go right ahead. You know, email me, comment away, whatever. I, I'm always down for more information. Because I, I admittedly, again, total, totally admittedly, I am out of the loop on that. Okay? So that's what I can say about it. Okay. Uh, Alex said, the upcoming IAS event is so struggling to fill seats, they are now allowing not, what? What? Non-Scientology family to attend to? How do you think that will change the dynamic, or are they too tone deaf? It will not change the dynamic at all. But it sure is interesting as a piece, as a data point. Um, and the reason I say it won't change the dynamic at all is because David Miscavige doesn't really care to change the tone or bring it down to fit the wogs in the audience. He doesn't care about that, right? This is Scientology. This is who we are. This is what we do. And the IAS event is where we validate our most upstat Scientologists. And he's not going to want to change that or tone, excuse me, tone that down for any reason. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, let me go back up here. Fluffy Wicket says, I can't get the question thing to work. But you did because that, that, this comment right here is in the question box. <laughs> that's funny. Um, no, yeah, TJ Feeney asks, are visible tattoos like the hands and neck allowed in the Sea Org? What about piercings, and are there regulations about grooming as in length of hair and facial hair? Yes, there are. Uh, sea Org members need to look upstat, right? which is a business look, and so they are not at all interested in face piercings and arm and hand piercings and tattoos and all that. Not interested in that at all, and they will heavily discourage it. And you will never, ever, ever be able to do something like that once you're in the Sea Org. Maybe you come into the Sea Org with some piercings or with some tats, and they're going to cover that up, or they're going to do what they need to do to make it nondescript, and you're not going to keep having nose piercings, lip piercings, any other piercings uh, other than ears. And males, no, right? Just females. Conservative business, that's their image. Uh, and they don't want anything other than that. Um, okay, wow, I guess we're going to... Okay, let's keep going for a little bit, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, OBG Foster, do you think DM will become a pathetic recluse like LRH or already has? Not like Hubbard has. Um, he's not done that yet. He's definitely living in a world of hiding, though. Miscavige is absolutely hiding from the whole world. Um do I think he might, you know, go off to some property where nobody knows where he is and that kind of thing? Probably not. Probably not. But, you know, anything's possible. Anything is possible. Um, okay. Let me just go through here and see. Wow, so many questions. Okay. Um, I'm just looking through the last of them because I'm only going to answer one more, so I wanted to choose one.
Uh, okay, I'm just going to kind of choose one at random. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Do Scientologists avoid sitcoms like Frasier as it was about a psychiatrist? Could you get in trouble watching it? Good question. Yes, Scientologists avoid anything having to do with psychiatry. And I remember when Frasier was first on and people hated it, right? Kirstie Alley had a problem with it. Um, there are, yeah, there's anything having to do with psychiatry, even in entertainment, psychs are always the bad guys. They're not funny. They're not charitable. They are not sympathetic characters. They're always the bad guy, right? When, when, if you imagine that every single time Scientologists see a psychiatrist, they see Darth Vader. It's like that. You know, there's never anything other than evil and must be destroyed. So there you go on that. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up, guys, because uh, we've been at it for a little while, and this has been fun. Um, thank you. Yes, my next tattoo. That's right. Um, okay, so I guess let me close that window. And let's wrap up. Thanks for coming around, guys. I don't even know where we're at in terms of viewership and stuff. Let me see where we're where we are at right now. Oh, hey, this is pretty good. Pretty good show. All right, and uh, just okay, good. Thank you very much for coming around, guys. I really appreciate your viewership and your support. I hope that if you want any consultation, you will consider contacting me for that. I am readily available. And I hope that you will continue tuning in to the channel for the rest of the content I put up here. Thank you very much for coming around. Bye-bye.